Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Acts, chapter 28. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. We left off, and Paul was on uh, Malta Island, the island of Malta. And if you weren't with us, it was kind of like when we left off last week, give me your attention, it was kind of like a to-be-continued kind of uh, end of the sermon. As Paul, if you have been with us, then you know that Paul has been sailing from Caesarea to Rome to stand trial before Nero. And while sailing, and it seemed, and we underscore that, it seemed that God had, had blown Paul and the sailors and the soldiers off course, 500 miles off course, and uh, because you remember the storm, this Euroclidon hit. And it seemed as if they had been blown off course, but listen, saints, nothing escapes the eye of God. And there's no such thing as a happenstance or a, you know, just so happened in the life of the Christian. I believe everything that happens in the life of the believer is controlled and orchestrated and known by God. So we don't just happen upon anything. And so these guys, it would seem that this Euroclite in this storm that we talked about last week had blown them off course. But in fact, it hadn't blown them off course because God was wanting to use Paul on the island of Malta. As we're going to see today, God wanted to use Paul on the island of Malta to bring healing and help to some people who were on this island who needed healing, who needed to know about Jesus. So last week, the ship was wrecked, remember? And there were 276 men who came washing up on the shore, and some came swimming, as we read, and some kind of came surfing and floating in on pieces of the ship and onto the shore. And so they come in, and their knees are knocking, their teeth are chattering, their skin has goosebumps on it, and they're soaked, and they're wet, and, 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 and they're tired, and yet they're saved. Just as Paul had prophesied, don't you remember the ship was lost, but everyone on board was saved and they find themselves on the island of Malta. That's where we left off last week and that's where we pick up this morning in Acts chapter 28, saints beginning in verse 1, if you're with me, say amen. Amen. Now when they had escaped in verse 1, they found out, note this, that the island was called what? Malta. See? And the natives showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and they made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out. And that's not a Dodge Viper. You knew that, didn't you? Amen. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on Paul's hand. 
So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. But Paul shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. From a murderer to a god. We'll talk about it. In that region in verse 7, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius. Publius. Listen, give me your attention. Moms, should you be having a little boy? Do not, I repeat, do not consider the name Publius. Okay, moms? Because that's cruel. Kids are cruel in school. First day at school, the kids go around, what's your name? My name is Publius. And kids like to give each other nicknames. I mean, like, Poopy. I mean, what would be his nickname? Who knows? Don't do that. How do you even come to this name, by the way? You know, we, we need to get a name for our son. Let's see. Let's see. You know, well, I was kind of thinking Publius. Where's that come from? That's his name. It's in the Bible. It's right there. Whose name was Publius, who received us in verse 7 and entertained us courteously for, th- for three days. Notice that. He took them into their home. He called up his wife. Honey, can I have some people over for dinner? Sure. How many? Well, 276. Uh, not. Y'all need to go to Golden Corral or something. Verse 8. And it happened that the father of Publius, note this, lay sick of fever and dysentery. And Paul went into him and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and they were healed. And they also honored us in verse 10 in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Stop right there. Give me your attention. Saints, 200 and 76 men wash up on the island of Malta. Malta, if you're taking notes, you write this down, is 550 miles south of Sicily. It's 18 miles long, 8 miles wide, very fairly small island. Malta is a Canaanite word, and it literally means refuge. Refuge. Isn't that just like God to cause them to wash up on a shore called refuge? Why? Because it certainly is a very fitting name for this time, this period. So they wash up on the shore on the island of Malta. The natives came out to greet them. Notice in the Bible it says, in the New King Jimmy, it says the natives... In the King Jimmy, it says barbarians, if you're reading barbarians. Some of your other Bibles may say barbarians as well. And, uh, you know, when you think of the word barbarian, you think of kind of cannibals. You think of like bones through the nose, 
club-carrying, spear-toting people. But this word barbarian doesn't imply that at all. The word actually means, if you're taking notes, this word barbarian means one who says barbar, barbar, or one who speaks unintelligibly, kind of like gibberish. It would just go bar, 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 bar. And, 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 what, and, and they get this name, and this is true, they get this name because the, the, the Greeks called anyone barbarian who didn't speak Greek. Because they didn't understand. To them, it sounded like bar, 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 bar. You know, much like a language you don't know. It sounds like bar, 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 bar. <laughs> and uh, so these natives or these barbarians, are you getting the scene? They're standing on the shore and they're checking out these 276 men who come washing up on the, on, on, in the water onto the beach and, and notice what these barbarians or these natives do. They go out and they begin to collect wood for a fire to kindle so that these guys can get warm. I think that's, that's beautiful. They go out and get wood for a fire to kindle, to bring warmth, but probably also so they can make some s'mores. <laughs> what? I mean... I can't imagine a bonfire. Am I like the only one? I can't imagine a bonfire without s'mores. A bonfire without s'mores is evil. (laughs) S'mores are of God. (laughs) I know this. We had a men's retreat one time and, you know, I sent these guys out. I mean, I realized that that we had we we had a bonfire and we had no s'mores. And uh, this was this was huge. This was going to spiritually impact our weekend. And, and so I was like, oh, we've got to go get some s'mores, man. We've got to go get the chocolate and get the um, graham crackers and get the marshmallows. We have got to have some s'mores. So I'm sure that these barbarians, they, they had, you know, s'mores, I think. And, uh, but notice how beautiful that was, that they go get fire and they go and to, to get wood. And notice what Paul did. Look at verse 3 again, saints, would you? Because I find this to be... Revealing, telling of the heart of Paul. Notice when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. Get this. Paul was cold. Paul was wet. Paul was hungry like everybody else. But notice what he does. Paul goes out and gathers wood to warm them with the natives. You know, Paul was an apostle. Paul was a preacher. Paul was a teacher. Paul was an evangelist. But one thing I see about Paul, as you study the scriptures, he was also a servant. Paul was a servant. Paul was a guy who would take every opportunity to serve, even when he could have been the kind of guy to say, you know, I need to be served. Paul could have said, you know, look, I'm the big kahuna here. I'm the big cheese here. I told you guys not to do this and look at the mess you've got us in. Now I'm going to be served. I'm going to take charge. You guys, where's my blanket? Somebody get me a heater. 
You know, Paul could have been that kind of guy, but he wasn't. Paul took the opportunity to help and warm others. Paul was a servant. And saints, look, I told him in first second, I tell you now, one thing the church needs, listen to me close, one thing the church needs, or let me tell you what the church does need. The church does not need another bishop. Church doesn't need another apostle. Church doesn't need another prophet. The church needs servants. Say amen, saints. The church needs servants. The church does not need another person in the pulpit looking for power and prestige and position. The church needs servants. This is what we're called to do. You know, people get all caught up in the titles and people get all caught up in, you know, I'm a bishop. I don't know if y'all noticed, but, but it seems to me like in the pulpits today, everybody's a bishop. I'm trying not to go there. Everybody's a prophet. Everybody's a, an apostle. You got to have some kind of title. And, and you know, I, I, I noticed this here too. I, tell, I didn't tell them third, first and second. I t- tell you. Y'all get a little extra since y'all came third. I've noticed that a lot of times, you know, the guys on television, females on television, whoever they are, um, you know, they start off with just their name. Give them some time in the ministry, some time on TV, and all of a sudden they have doctor in front of their name. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, I'm trying to be nice. Y'all need to work with me, okay? Anybody know what I'm talking about? We're going to just leave it right there. Okay, good. And, and, and I don't understand that. You know, as ministers, we're, we're not called to be served. We are called by definition of the word minister to serve. This is what we're called to do. We're not called to be served. Ministers should be the ones going low to lift people up. Ministers should be the one doing the work of the ministry, not sitting back going, well, now I'm an apostle. Well, now I'm a bishop and I want all these people. Where are my grapes? (laughs) I don't understand it. By definition, the word minister means to serve. Paul was a servant. And I would suspect, saints, listen, I would imagine, you know, if Paul were alive today, and, and I, I mean no disrespect and no, not to disparage anyone or any, any, anything, but, but I, I would imagine if Paul were alive today, he, you wouldn't see much of him on TBN. You wouldn't see much of him on Daystar, on the Word Network. You wouldn't see much of Paul at all. If Paul came to speak at your church, I don't think he'd come in a limousine. He'd probably show up in a pacer. <laughs> Y'all remember the pacer? Wave at me if you remember the pacer. Yeah. That was one ugly car. God knows that was an ugly car. How do you even come to that idea? In the boardroom, you're developing a car, and all of a sudden comes to your idea a pacer-looking car? What have you been taking? That's just not right. But Paul would show up in just a, a humble, he was just a humble guy. He wasn't into self-promotion. Paul wasn't, you know, if he was in the room, you wouldn't look at him and go, oh, that's Paul the apostle. He's a man used of God. Matter of fact, you'd probably look at him and think that guy cannot be used of God. I mean, he's short, bald-headed, crooked nose, runny eyes with some kind of infection. You'd be like, he coming near you to hug you. He'd be like, oh, you got to back up off of this. 
I don't know what I don't know what you you in back up off of this. They don't hug you. You would not think that Paul was a man who was mightily used of God because we look at the outward, God looks at the heart. You would look at Jesus and you wouldn't, if you didn't know he was Jesus, you wouldn't think he was Jesus. Get the tape. I mean, Jesus didn't, you know, like Jesus didn't, you know, like the movies portray Jesus, like every place he goes, there's a light on him. And you know, the Hollywood, the camera zooms in on his eyes and they're always blue. You know what's that? And there's like always a light. And everywhere Jesus goes in the movies and Hollywood, you know, all the, every place he goes, every place he goes, there's like music that follows him. Jesus travels in stereo. He's got these Bose speakers like right here over him all the time. If you, if, I mean, he's like everywhere he goes, you, you know, Jesus goes, Everywhere, whatever he's doing, and you know that it's Jesus because of the music. Follow the music, and you're following Jesus. You'll find him. You know, and you know, you know, Jesus was so common and so ordinary that Judas had to come into the garden. Are you listening? Judas had to come into the garden to, and give him a kiss to identify who he was because nobody would have known. Judas kissed him to identify who he was because he was so ordinary and he was so common and he just looked like everybody else and he was just humble. Jesus wasn't into self-promotion. He was just an ordinary guy and just blended in and Paul would just blend in, blend in. He didn't have some kind of aura around him. Paul didn't wear a high priestly robe. He didn't change his voice when he got in the pulpit. I told y'all I'm trying not to go there, okay? Y'all pray for me. None of that. He just blends in, looks for opportunities in ministry. I love it when you come into a church and you don't know who's who and what's what and who's the pastor and the first lady. You know, that's nice. You know, people have come and I met him in the lobby. You know, hey, how you doing? Sometimes I do greeting. You know, I stand and hand out bulletins and stuff. Hey, how you doing? You know, and I come in church and sit and yeah, I get in the pulpit and, you know, and by the time I start preaching or whatever and the people, I can tell who the visitors are because their, their face looks like, <laughs> and they, that's like, they're like that for about 15 minutes. And then if they come down, they come up and if it's their first time here, they didn't know what I, I didn't know you were the pastor. I didn't know you were the pastor. You didn't tell me you were the pastor. And I'm like, why would I need to? I mean, who cares? Who cares? Or people will come in, they'll, they'll, they'll point out to their friends. I've been told this. Oh, oh that's, that's Pastor Rodney and Miss Elvira, his wife, you know. And, and their, their visitor friend goes, that's it? <laughs> oh, hold on, man. You don't have to say it with such disdain. That's it. You know, but part of that, I mean, I understand it, is that you should not walk into the church, really. Don't miss that. Please take what I'm saying 
uh, for what I'm saying. You you shouldn't walk in the church and know who everybody is based on where they sit and what they wear and how people walk up to them and oh 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 look there ain't nobody important in the church except Jesus. Y'all can clap better than that for the Lord now, can't you? Ain't nobody important in the church but Jesus. Everybody, yes, there has to be some structure. Yes, there has to be the pastor and and all of these things because sheep need direction and leadership. God has this ordained direction and leadership, but ain't nobody important in God's house except him. You understand? My pastor told me a long time ago, and, I, you know, little things you remember, little things. And he said to me a long time ago, he said, in the church, there's no big eyes and little U's. And what he meant by that, somebody know what I'm saying. What he meant by that is that there's nobody more important than another. Big eyes and little U's. The only big eye that's important is the eye that's found in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Did you know? That's Jesus. That's the only eye that's important. You know, we, we got to get to the place where we are serving as Paul served. When he had every right, are you still following me? Where he had every right to say, hey, you guys serve me. He didn't. Paul took the opportunity to serve others, seeking to warm others. And you want to notice this really quickly. As he was seeking to warm others and serve other people, it was at that point that he was bitten by a serpent. Now, when you look in the, look in the scriptures, you follow the serpent all the way back to the book of Genesis, you know, and in the book of Genesis, the serpent is always evil. It represents evil. It represents that Satan. It represents the devil, the serpent who seduced Eve in the book of Genesis. So here we can learn something as Paul was serving. He was bitten by the serpent. Listen, wherever you are in ministry, whatever you do, children's ministry, greeters ministry, pastor, elder, deacon, wherever you are on any level, be aware because when you're trying to serve other people, the serpent is going to bite. Satan's all, do you think Satan's happy that you're serving God? I have to remember that when spiritual warfare comes and you know, I got to remember that I got to press on and you got to press on and you got to know that when you're serving God, Satan's going to try to bite and the serpent's going to try to bite. But God is victorious. Amen? Amen. God is greater. So notice in your Bibles in verse 4, when the barbarians got to move on, when the barbarians saw the venomous creature hanging from Paul's hand, notice they said, no doubt this is proof he is a murderer. Did you see that? In other words, they're saying this guy has escaped the sea, but he can't get away from his sin Because the snake has got him. He is a murderer. And notice, get the scene. Look at verse 4 again. So when the natives saw the creature hanging, you know, the scene is this. Give me your attention. The scene is that the natives are all standing around. Paul's putting the wood into the fire. The natives are all standing around kind of watching. The serpent bites. The natives are standing there, and there's probably like an awkward silence. Kind of a really quiet silence. Dr. Luke is there as well. Well, the serpent bites. The natives are certainly familiar with the snakes that are on this island. They've seen it before. They've seen a serpent bite and the person would swell up and die. So they're standing there waiting for Paul to die. 
Dr. Luke is standing there thinking, I'm a doctor, but I can't do nothing. And there's this awkward silence. There's a, an expectation, an anticipation of death. And they're just all quiet. And all of a sudden, Paul just shakes off the serpent and looks at them and goes, what? <laughs> what? And they're like, well, we're waiting for you to die. <laughs> At least swell up or do something. <laughs> We've seen this before. And, 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 and Paul says, he prob- probably a little sanctified imagination here, the white space. Paul probably said, that's between the lines. Paul probably said, <laughs> Paul probably said, you know what? I got a promise from God. I told you guys on the ship that God said I was going to Rome. So this serpent that has bitten me, I'm not going to die because God has already given me a promise that I'm going to Rome. And Paul probably said, you guys don't believe God's promises, but I do. You see, Paul knew that even though the serpent would bite him, Paul knew he had the promise of God that he was to go to Rome. So Paul, notice the Bible tells us he just shook the serpent off. Listen, saints, I'm going to tell you this really quickly because I got to move forward. Sometime when the serpent bites, you have got to just shake it off. Sometimes you got to shake it off. You got to shake it off. And there's many reasons why you got to shake it off. But here's one main reason why you have got to shake off Satan's attacks. Because people, listen, are watching to see how you deal with the bites of the enemy. Do you know that the, peop- the, the barbarians, the natives, your neighbors, your family who don't know God, don't you know that when life bites... Perhaps you just got news that you or some loved one has cancer. Perhaps you've got bills you can't pay. Listen, you got to shake it off. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.